Well, hey everybody, my name is Sean Hussey. This is Cold Brews and Catholic Truths. I'm excited for today's episode. I got a couple of brothers here joining me, a couple of Catholic brothers. And um, I, I, it's Daniel and Stephen. We were talking a bit before the podcast, although I don't know who's Daniel and who's Stephen, actually. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you guys I, introduce Dan- yourselves? Yeah, I'm Daniel, older and wiser. Okay. Stephen, uh, actually, I, was, I wasn't going to tell you our names. I was going to keep you guessing until the end. But, uh. Yeah. <laughs> are, and you guys are, you know, you guys are the Catholic brothers, huh? You guys are like the yeah. official ones. The, right. Yeah. There are no other. Yeah. Catholic we had to brothers. put the definite article in front of it. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> are you just out of curiosity? Are there any other brothers in your family or sisters? Or is it just the two of you guys? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually have um, the Catholic siblings. Yeah. The Catholic siblings. They have their own podcast. Um, so we have uh, the oldest brother, Rick. And then we have um, another brother just above him, which is Tim. Then we have like an oldest sister is the oldest sibling. So, yeah. Okay. There were five of wow. us. Yeah. Awesome. Pretty cool. Well, uh, you know, thanks for joining me. Uh, everybody, if you, if you guys haven't seen these guys, um, they have an awesome YouTube channel. Um, you should check it out, the Catholic Brothers. Um, and they're doing a, putting on a, out a lot of great content. And, and I, I kind of saw it recently. I thought they were doing some awesome things. I thought it would be a cool opportunity uh, just to have you guys on to talk more about um, your story. So, honestly, I'd love to just get right into it. Uh, and mm-hmm. talk a little bit more, you know, from, from looking at your about page and things like that on your YouTube channel, it sounds like you guys have spent some time in Catholicism and Protestantism and, and then back to Catholicism as well. So, um, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to give you guys an opportunity just to talk more about that story and where you're at right now. And um, so maybe just to begin, um, maybe talk a little bit about your faith life growing up. You guys were baptized Catholics? Yeah, that's right. So thanks, obviously, for having us on. We're excited to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, so we we were baptized Catholic, um, and uh, we were the whole bit, you know, altar servers growing up all the way into high school, altar servers. Mm-hmm. You know, went to private school, Catholic schools, growing up as well. Um, you know, the experience was um, positive. There's positives to it and negatives to it. Obviously, there was a reason why we um, had left. But, you know, the, the family was, um, we had a good Catholic family in, in the sense that they took very seriously their their obligation to go to, to go to mass, <laughs> you know. Growing up, I mean, I, I I I was always surprised when fellow students of mine, like you know, in, in grade school or whatever, they couldn't believe the, the fact that that we never missed a Sunday of mass growing up. Yeah, we just didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, even you know, you go on vacation, they, you go you go to mass on vacation, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, we find a church wherever we're at, and we we go to mass. You know, so our family was really intentional about that, which was. Which was great and, and important in our I think our formation overall. Yeah, yeah. And I would say the parish that we that we grew up at was a Polish parish. So it sort of had a very strong I guess you could say uh, Pope John Paul II kind of ethos to it in in the mass mm-hmm. and everything. So it was it was actually still pretty like, you know, reverent and, and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of like the I guess the surrounding uh, you know, morality of a lot of Catholics that we encounter in our life was always just kind of like, I don't know how else you could put it, but like maybe lukewarm, right? So yeah. maybe maybe piety, going to Mass on Sunday, sort of fulfilling the obligations on the one hand, but then just, you know, like friends and, and teachers or whoever it was, you know, sort of that lukewarm kind of experience. So. Yeah, there, well, there wasn't, I would say, I, I, I kind of phrase this, there wasn't uh, a focus on sanctification, yeah. right? The, the desire to, to progress and, and, and toward perfection, um, that type of... Um, move toward Christ, that personal relationship, mm-hmm. um, that of course we would, we would encounter later. Mm-hmm. Right. 
it, would you describe that as like the culture of your parish or, and your family or just, you know, just kind of the parish and the Catholics you're around in general? I mean, what were your what were your parents like? Were, did they kind of have a culture of of wanting to have a relationship with the Lord and taking it seriously? Or, or was it kind of a culture of just lukewarmness in your family in general? I, would, I mean, I would say that, no, there was a desire for, for Christ. I mean, I, my mom, growing up, I, she's always praying the rosary. Yeah, I, I, I yeah before evening. bed, she's always, yeah. still to this day, I'm still praying the rosary. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, so, I mean, that was there. There just wasn't, I mean, there wasn't, you know, a, a deep knowledge of the, of the scriptures, right? Mm -hmm. So you could easily take another interpretation of it. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't great catechesis, perhaps in the family, but also certainly in the school systems we were in. I, you know what I think it is? I think it was just that um, there wasn't a strong uh, intellectual appeal growing up. Like, as it, like Catholicism didn't uh, intellectually impress me uh, um, until much, much later. <laughs> um, right. So I, I, think, I think that's where I was. I mean, you know, spiritually, I always retained a respect for the piety that we grew up with, uh, even in Protestantism. I never said anything like bad about our parish growing up, but I would say horrible things about Catholicism in general, you know, because uh, sure. that formed me so much in my view of Christ. But um, yeah, I would say I would say there wasn't really anything intellectually that we got fed with mm -hmm. um, when we were younger. Sure. So. But, but there also and, and there wasn't there wasn't that emphasis on really falling in love with Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was we go to masses. That's what we do. Um, mm -hmm. and we believe in Jesus and we believe all these things and we practice all these things and that's great. Um, but the idea of, you know, the, the living spirit within you, mm -hmm. uh, and a real relationship that just wasn't part or evangelism. of evangelism. Yeah. yeah. Or, evangelism or literally like go out and try to evangelize. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It just wasn't really a thing. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, abso absolutely. I mean, I can relate to a lot of what you guys are saying in my own story as well. And growing up in a Catholic family where I felt like actually my family, my parents in particular were like striving to follow the Lord as best they knew how and to be obedient in any way they felt like they were supposed to be, you know, um, but still feeling like just kind of a sense of going through the motions and an obligation in my own life. Do you guys, you guys talk about, you know, it didn't have a sense of, of you know, falling in love with Jesus and evangelism and, and striving for, you know, sanctification, things like that. Do you feel like that was something you desired uh, or, or you didn't even think about it at that point, you know, while you were still, you know, living with your family? That's a great question. I don't think I thought in those categories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, Un until I did. Until I did, and, yeah. th and then it was dangerous, right? Because I couldn't, I, you couldn't find anybody really to go to with it, with it, in the house. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, in the Catholic house. Mm -hmm. So um, the the minute that I encountered for the first time Protestantism and Protestants, mm. I was impressed. You know, and, and it actually, it convicted me, you see, because the Holy Spirit, like when you're baptized, you know, the Holy Spirit's with you. That's an indelible mark, you know, as a mm. Catholic. And all it takes is that one encounter to like re-enliven it and to kindle afresh, as St. Paul says. So mm. the first time that I met Protestants, it was the first time that I felt a burning inside of me. that mm. I was like, whoa. Yeah, I actually, well, I remember, you know, you brought up, we brought up my, our older brother um, earlier. What, so my older brother actually left the church first. Okay. And what was what always appealed to me when he would speak to us, you know, we were still kind of just Catholic doing our own thing. And he would, you know, call us over, we'd hang out. And he always spoke so like fervently about the spirit hmm. and how the spirit of God is real and moves within the believer and he changes you. And, and I think for the first time we heard that word change, that there needs yeah. to be a change in you of your affections. Yeah. And, and that wait, you're right. The Holy Spirit must be real. You're right. We hear about all the readings every Sunday. You know, who is this Holy Spirit? Um, 
It's true. Like actually growing up, it was like, yeah. you know, you, you get ready to take a test in private school and they're like, the Holy Spirit like comes and gives you courage or something. You know, it, that was like the tagline. But it's like when when you actually come to that point, though, like I said, where, where some something is kindling it afresh inside of you, it's yeah. the first time that you see that the Holy Spirit is so much more than that. And, and, and the whole purpose really of, of that gift is to change the heart and the affections um, mm-hmm. so that you can walk in the spirit. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we'll praise yeah. God for obviously really faithful Protestants who who can sometimes mm-hmm. wake us up, nominal Catholics up to, you know, to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and awaken us to the graces of our baptism. But tell me a little bit more about what that experience was like. I mean, so what what led you kind of, you encountered these Protestants, what le- what made you guys want to leave, you know, your Catholic faith behind and become Protestant? Two different, maybe two different tracks there, because I think we left it different Yeah, I mean, right? yeah, I was going to ask that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was the... I was the first one to, to go. Um, so I, to me, it was immediately they got me with the Mary stuff. Stop me if you heard this. <laughs> um, yeah, they started with Mary, um, you know, and, and, and hey, look, I had I had very poor catechesis in my private school. Um, so I wasn't ready. I wasn't, I, did, I had no real solid biblical knowledge. And so it really just started the Bible. But talking to Protestants before going and reading the Bible, rather than consulting maybe the history of the church or the church or the church herself in her documents, um, I was adopting Protestant categories of interpretation, then going and reading the scriptures. <laughs> and then I was yep. hearing Protestantism. So, so, yeah. so one thing that really got me was like, you know, there's one mediator between God and man, the, the man Christ Jesus, you know. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, look here in your catechism, it says that Mary's a mediatrix. So what's going on there? Yeah. I mean, you know. Now we can look back and kind of like, you know, have a chuckle. But at the time that really, I was like, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, so I think was, that was the Mary, it was the Mary track first. For me. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Well, it, it was also, it was just the, the, the Bible itself. You know, we, so we left the Roman church and we were going to a Bible church, right? An evangelical non-denominational church. Um, and the Bible's the foundation of all of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had this already, um, respect for the scriptures obviously because we were catholic right oh yeah the bible yeah but we never read it mm-hmm. and so when protestants were speaking to us and quoting saint paul and quoting saint peter and saint james we're like oh man yeah i should probably know that and it seems like they actually know the scriptures yeah um and so it, it was really just sit, just sitting down with your bible like a good protestant and mm-hmm. just going through it and and learning the gospel really sometimes for the first time mm-hmm. in many ways um, and then reading St. Paul's letters falling in love with St. Paul himself as an evangelist and mm-hmm. being drawn into into that whole world mm-hmm. um, which you know we didn't do as, as Catholics so it was the appeal of the Bible but it was a it was a respect for the Bible that I already had that then Protestants were showing me oh I better know my Bible too mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, then yeah. you are reading it through the lens that they're reading it through right so were you guys, when you guys left, I mean, at different times, you start going to the same Protestant church together? Yeah, so actually for a very long time, we weren't allowed to go to a Protestant church. So there was like two stages of breaking it to the family. And so the okay. first stage, <laughs> the first stage, the first stage was, mom, this isn't, the Catholicism is not what's inside here anymore. And I stopped going to communion. And that was like, you know, heartbreaking. And we had a huge powwow at home and everything. And then... um then it was like in high school, like later high school, that finally I got to the point where I was like, you know, the mass is a pagan ceremony kind of thing, you know. And so then um, I took my stand and I was like, I'm not going again. Like, and then they said, OK, well, 
then pack you know yeah, pack, pack, pack up pack your bags pack your bags you're not gonna be living on you know, my roof you know so we uh we moved in actually with our older brother tim uh oh wow good... you guys are high school high school students when this when this happened when you left the, left catholicism yeah. yeah yeah high school or college i think i was uh 17 18. okay yeah wow yeah so we had uh you know part-time jobs and stuff and you know my parents obviously bless their hearts i mean they they, they were at their wits end and didn't really know how to handle it these two young you know, guns uh, coming at them with the scriptures and, and just nobody was really prepared for it. And, and they, they felt that, you know, maybe that's what we have to do. It's kind of hard love. Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, we were, we were out of the house for quite a few, quite a few months there. Mm-hmm. And so then that's the first time that we start actually going to a Protestant right. church. We were still going to Roman Catholic church for many years, even though we weren't, we wouldn't consider ourselves Roman Catholic. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's pretty, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty bold decision, obviously at that age to, you know, to have that kind of ultimatum, well, if you will, but then, and then to even, even with it, to feel like convicted enough to be like, no, this is what we need to do. This is the right well, thing. Well, see, that's, that's the thing. I, I think at the time I would, I, I still think to this day that it kind of reiterated what we were doing. You know, I, I, the parents, you know, wanted it to be kind of a disciplining thing and, and kind of think twice about something, but actually we just saw ourselves as the persecuted church. You can hear it, right? You know, you can, yeah, like, yeah. blessed are you when, yeah. they, when they curse you. We're hearing all Jesus' words about the persecuted church. Um, and uh, so you kind of took that and, and you kind of doubled down on it yeah. um, for a while there. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, when I kind of reached a similar point in my life, you know, meeting Protestants who were really faithful and like really inspired me and really like, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't realize I wanted a relationship with Jesus um, until I met these Protestants who had one. And it was mm-hmm. like immediately I wanted that. And um, in my story, though, you know, it's kind of like, I, I immediately just fortunately had people around me, I guess, who, who kind of led me to the biblical basis in particular of, of Catholicism. And so there was just mm-hmm. something in the back of my mind that was just kind of like, there's, I, I mean, I love these Protestants. I really want something that they have, but I don't think like, I don't know if becoming Protestants the answer for me. And so I just like my, my period of study, fortunately I was exposed to some good mentors and teachers and even people like Dr. Scott Hahn and you know, Catholic Answers like, oh, nice. almost instantly you know um and so that was anyway yeah. but so it's, it's just interesting go ahead go ahead yeah sorry no that no that, that you said that i think at that time because we actually went to our dad took us to a talk by scott hunt um okay. it, was, it was one of his talks on revelation and i guess our ears were just so closed at that time that we, were, mm-hmm. we brushed it off or whatever we did mm-hmm. um but i do remember going to that and scott hunt opened his his talk and he said um, something about okay now open your Bibles. Oh wait, I'm in a room full of Catholics. Or yeah, he, said, he said yeah, he says he says uh, open up your Bibles. Yeah, again, if you don't have one. He said if you don't have one, turn to the Protestant. Yeah, turn to the Protestant next, next to you. And ironically, and we, had, we our had our Bibles. Oh my god, nobody gosh. else had their Bible. Mm. <laughs> that like proves like your point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that's more affirmation. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, but actually, Sean, what's really interesting is that after we we um, got to go to a Protestant church. Mm-hmm. Um, it was immediate, almost immediate. I would say within about three months that I started to realize this was not for me. Um, hmm. So it was, yeah, it was uh, a Bible church, fundamentalist yeah. type, you know. So the track was then, um, I started to look back to the Reformation. Because I was like, well, this isn't making much sense. It, it, what's funny is that the Bible actually ended up being the very thing that got me out of the Bible church. Because hmm. I started yeah, yeah. to just see on the very pages of St. Paul. And at the time... Daniel and I were also both in very deep historical studies um, about, you know, the rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire is what, basically what we studied. 
Um, so then we start reading the Bible and we're realizing like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. In the Greek here, there's a lot going on. Well, just, in, just in the general context and, of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Understanding the general context when you're reading the Bible. And, 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 you guys and just realizing this? that... It, I'm sorry. This, you guys this is doing when we're in college. In, okay, in college, like at an undergrad program or going on to seminary yeah. or something? Okay, undergrad. Uh, undergrad and grad. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so worldview just what first century religion really looks like and then you're going and reading saint paul and you're like that's the context like that's the proper context to understand what saint paul's talking about and there's no such thing as a christian in the new testament who isn't baptized but when you're at a bible church you have all these people who are like 40 years old who've been christians all their life but have never been baptized yet you know and you're like wait a second but they're like taking communion and like the didache says you can't like unless you're baptized first so yeah, there's all those yeah. disjunctions and so dan and i immediately like we started to really realize that like this isn't actually biblically based this is a tradition you know yeah yeah um well that was one of the big the big moments when you realize that everybody's reading the bible through their lens mm-hmm. and so when you understand that oh i'm part of a tradition too as a, as a non-denominational christian you think yeah, oh, i'm right. just a christian but when you, re- you start to realize that you're in a tradition, now you have mm-hmm. to test that tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you went, you, know, you go to the reformers first, because we're supposed to be reformed, so let's go to the reformers. You yeah, know? Yeah. So that literally from there, it was mm-hmm. just climbing the ladder. Like I went to mm-hmm. a reformed church for a while, and then I started to go to a Lutheran church. Um, mm-hmm. I was attending Lutheran churches when I got into the grad program, and then finally into Anglicanism. And that's where yeah. I would say actually my Protestantism ended, was in Anglicanism. Because yeah. I don't really, I don't really consider Anglicans like, protestants in the same in the same way that i would consider all, all the rest of protestantism so that's a, that's mm. a, <laughs> another story mm. well i mean that's you say three months in that you're starting to realize like this is not for me at least in this you know kind of evangelical bible church i mean 15 years is that right you guys were kind of protestants for 15 years um so that's, that's yeah. kind of a long time i mean where did you see that that journey ending it's like while you're in the midst of it so to speak <laughs> we did well I would say from the beginning, when we set out on this journey, we always we always said to each other that this is going to be about truth, hmm. and wherever it's going to take us, that's where we're going to go. Yeah, that's just that's just what our outlook was. And so when we went into the Bible Church, you know, I, I would say maybe for for you, maybe three months, you started questioning things a little longer, maybe on my end, you know. So you had a number of years there where we were still going to the Catholic Church, but didn't consider ourselves Catholic. Then you had a, we were there maybe a couple years in the Bible church, mm-hmm. and then you started visiting other Protestant churches. Yeah. Um, but we didn't know where it was going. Mm-hmm. And that, that was kind of the, the point of it. We, we understood that we're, we're on a journey, we're gonna, we're gonna try and walk by the Spirit as much as we possibly can. And wherever that's going to take us, that's, that's where it's going to take us. Yeah. We're comfortable with that, at least. Yeah, which can be a really dangerous journey. Yeah. But, but <laughs> that was what we said. That was our methodology, so to speak. I mean, we went, we went all the way down to the point of, like, I don't even accept the Trinity yet. Like, I want to find out. Like, I want to build back. I want to build it all back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. As you guys are, like, in Protestantism and, like, kind of sounds like moving along to different kind of, you know, sects or denominations within Protestantism. Are you doing this together? Are you guys agreeing along the way? Do you find yourself being convinced of the same things? Or are you like, is there tension between the two of you as you're- Oh, we have tension moments. Oh, yeah. I was I was big on investments for a long time where I was like, man, investments. And Dan's like, you heretic. <laughs> yeah, no, we weren't always, we weren't always on, the, on the same page. Um, I would say, I would say Steve took usually the first step into a, uh, trying a different denomination. I was always a little more hesitant and risk averse mm-hmm. when it came to that, but we were always reading the same kinds of things though, because we were in the same programs. 
gotcha. uh, in, in St. Patrick's programs and all of that. And so we're reading the same father classmates. We're debating with each other. We're debating in our small groups, all those things. So we're in the same kind of intellectual circle with each other. Yeah. So we're, we tend to be on the same track. But but when you say bouncing around in denominations, I, I, like so I don't want people to think that it was like, oh, like I'm going Lutheran here and then I go reform the next day and I go like yeah. I was yeah. I was consistently moving up the ladder. Um, yeah. So once I had moved into a Reformed church, I wasn't going back to a Bible church. Once I moved into the Lutheran church, I wasn't going back to Reformed churches and so on and so forth until finally I reached the pinnacle of Protestantism, which is Anglicanism. Mm. So I was a I was a mm. Protestant, like truly an anti-Catholic Protestant uh, for about what, seven years, maybe. Mm. Um, and then uh, an Anglican for, for eight years. And I was, I was very much of a high church Anglican bend. So I already had considered myself a Catholic, just not Roman Catholic for a good eight years. So that's why like a lot of people, even when we did our, our Taylor Marshall video, for instance, like we had a lot of people saying like, Oh, these recent reverts and this kind of, it's like, well, I wouldn't put it that way because it it wasn't like Catholic, like Roman Catholicism was the beginning necessarily of this, of this journey. It was kind of the culmination of a journey that had already taken place. Hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, and would you guys both say then like during that journey, kind of progressing up the ladder, are you moving? Like, are you, I mean, influence that, that you like are coming to better understanding of scripture is like the Bible just still like, of course, the heart of this journey for you guys, I guess, and having better understanding of the context in which it was written. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As you grow in your, in your knowledge uh, of the scriptures, of course, but also as you grow in your knowledge of the tradition and how it's unfurled mm-hmm. through the ages. Um, and that's, that's part of why studying the fathers was so important to to all of this and to the journey. Um, because you, you think about, you know, why, why would I listen to people 2000 years later telling me who St. Paul was like when I can read the fathers in their context, because the fathers shared the same culture as St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I want to read them in Greek, or I want to read them in Latin and understand what they're saying. Oh, and that's a great point, because when you go to a Protestant church, it becomes like this, it's like this regular thing where it's like a method of, of uh, hmm. homiletic, well, how do I even, what is it called? It's not even homiletics in Protestant. Mm-hmm. Preaching. Yeah. <laughs> but when they preach, they'll say, you know, like, and the word here in Greek means to do this. You know, they'll use that method. And it's usually like, yeah, okay. I mean, you're reading Strong's Concordance, you know, but, but like when you're reading Ignatius of Antioch or you're reading like Clement of Rome, these are people who literally speak Koine Greek, like who speak the language that Paul is writing in. They, they are, they are literally Ignatius is presiding over the church that Peter was at not that long ago. So, well, when, but, but, but to, to piggyback off of that, it's also important when you're reading the earliest fathers, um, Sean, you, you notice that they're not quoting scripture, they're breathing it. Mm-hmm. When they're mm-hmm. writing their letters, when they're writing their treatises, there's minimal actual literal quotes from scripture, but you can tell that they're speaking the language of it. For example, St. Ignatius of Antioch or St. Clement of Rome. That's how you know, okay, this is a living tradition. Mm-hmm. And so when you begin to see that there's something else going on besides, oh, here's the Bible and here's the Bible that we believe in. It's this kind of living voice that's in these earliest fathers that was really attractive. Yeah. Hmm. So what's the point then when you guys are like considering Roman Catholicism again? And, you know, why did you ultimately decide to, to kind of make that, that reversion, you know, back to the faith of your childhood? Yeah, I, th- I think it was kind of a, a dissolution with Anglicanism at the time, the church I was going to. Um, a whole backstory, but Anglicanism in, in, the, in this province in America 
was trying to embrace a different kind of ecclesiology that incorporates kind of Catholic tenets with Pentecostal and evangelical. They're trying to meld all these things together. Whereas I felt the, the strongest um, argument for Anglicanism was what we call branch theory ecclesiology, that Anglicanism is one of the branches of the Catholic Church. And maybe, maybe, the, maybe the Anglican Church omits a few things, but they would say that the Roman Catholics commit a few things. They go overboard, right? Mm -hmm. So they're kind of reserved, but Catholics go overboard. I always thought that was the strongest um, pitch for Anglicanism. But when, you, when I saw that the church was kind of going off that route and wasn't even going with that theory, and they're going more towards uh, evangelicalism or Pentecostalism, and it just kind of caused me to, to put my head back into the classical Anglican divines. Um, you know, the Jeremy Taylors of the world, John Cosins, mm -hmm. um, John Jewell, Richard Hooker, these great Anglican divines, and they love the fathers again. They're pointing you back to the fathers. And so I just, I, I was just in that mode. And then I'm looking back at Catholicism and I, and, and I knew, okay, I'm an Anglican. St. John Henry Newman was an Anglican. And I knew all along, one of these days, I'm going to have to pick up his apology <laughs> and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to contend with him. Right. So <laughs> right. I literally, it reached a point where I was like, okay, it's time. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go read John Henry Newman. Mm -hmm. And that was it intellectually. When I read him, it, it clicked for me because his whole view of, of the church, you know, he said, Anglicanism has recovered a lot of the primitiveness of the church, like the primitive Catholic doctrines of the church. But he said, primitiveness is not a church, right? Again, it's this living and abiding voice. And I said, well, I'm looking at the churches out there. Who has the living, abiding voice? Hmm. And to me, that was Roman Catholicism. And so intellectually, John Henry Newman was, was getting me there. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would say, in my heart, it was actually going to Latin Mass. <laughs> that that oh, finally okay. pushed me over the edge. <laughs> I actually, so I, I was much more, like I said, of the high church Anglican Ben, and of, of mm. course, not to gloss over it, the church fathers are an integral part of the story. Like the church fathers are a huge part of also pushing us um, yeah, yeah. in this direction. Um, but but really, in my in my opinion, the the father the fathers really just give you that lowercase C Catholic, um, mm. you know, because they're the friends of everybody and the friends of no one, like we like to say they sort of get you to that precipice of having to make a choice. Mm -hmm. But ultimately there's something else that has to sort of push you over. For me, it was for Anglican realignment. It was women's ordination. It was even the conservative Anglican, uh, the, the conservative element of Anglican communion mm. was starting to ordain women and uh, to the priesthood. And I was like, okay, well that's a break with Catholic orders. So, mm. and I told my wife originally we went into Anglican realignment. I was like, you know, I'll give it five years because if they don't deal with women's ordination in five years, I know that it's not going to happen because I've, I've seen right. the history of Anglicanism, you know. So they did it. You know, they 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 they, they brushed over it. Um, they came out with their big document and it was basically like, yeah, keep doing whatever you want to do. Yeah. So that was a big one. Um, but ultimately, Sean, for me, it was I felt like I was in a straitjacket in my piety in the Anglican Church. I couldn't I couldn't ask the Virgin for her intercession. Um, I couldn't body and blood of Christ. Um, I, I, I couldn't say definitively that like, yes, we have the priesthood, mm -hmm. you know, the sacerdotal some, priesthood. Some congregations you could, others you couldn't really. Exactly. And, and, mm -hmm. and that bothered me because then what, what compelled me to become Roman Catholic was asking, look, look at Jesus. 
I have to be able to find, if, if the church is the body of Christ, I need to be able to see in the church every facet of Jesus' own person and his personality. I need to see the stamp of his personhood on this church. And what I saw in Anglicanism was there's no, there's no monastic life, ser no serious monastic life. Hmm. That's a problem <laughs> because Jesus, was, Jesus is the source of the monastic pray by himself you know in the desert um i need a priesthood because jesus is a priest you know uh, i need to see that that the church is healing people i need to see hospitals like all these things because that's what jesus does i need to see exorcism like there's a reason why nobody goes to the anglican church if they need an exorcist they come to the catholic church yeah um so so because jesus cast out demons so it's everything that jesus is and does is what the church is and does in its several facets uh, because everybody is given a share of gifts. And so that, that actually became a big verse for me was that it says when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Hmm. That is what it is. Like Jesus ascended on high and he gave the church all the gifts of what he is. Yeah, he gave his personality to the church. Yeah. You, can, you can even see the Pope in those terms, right? You need exactly. a king. Exactly. You need somebody to rule over his people. Yeah. Primacy. You need, you need primacy. There was no reason for primacy to stop at the metropolitan level <laughs> as an right, orthodoxy. Right. Yeah. Well, like, well, well, that's... And that's part of that was part of John Henry Newman's point too. Is that where, where do you draw the line? Where does the authority begin or end? Yeah. You know, the Anglican Church would say, "Well, we, we're the Church of the first five centuries." Well, why do you stop at the first five? Yeah. yeah. What authority comes after that? Because we have fifteen hundred years we got to take care of after five after your five hundred. Right. Um, so that's that's definitely um, involved with that too. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was all part, of it. and then of course going to mass. I mean, you know, I can't I can't say that our parish didn't have a huge part of it too. I mean, just coming coming to the mass here, particularly at this oh, parish, it, it was was the most compelling hmm. and most beautiful pres presentation of Catholicism I've ever seen. Hmm. English mass or Latin mass, whichever yeah. one you go to. Yeah, I had on, a, on just a whim, Sean. I, I was invited. I went to the monastery that's near our church, and um, it just so happened that our our master of ceremonies at the time was visiting there too. And Steve and I were there kind of just asking questions to as the Anglicans, monks, as Anglicans, yeah. asking questions okay. to the monks, different things. And the, this, the MC comes over to us and says, hey, let me go show you my church. It's just right across the street. Like, okay, cool. We like visiting churches. He had the keys, showed us the church. We're like, wow, this is great. He said, you should come visit sometime, whatever. Not a week or two later, I did go visit. Um, and it happened to be the Latin Mass that, uh, that Sunday that I went to. And my, uh, my wife was with me, Victoria. And literally in the middle of the Mass, we look over at each other. We're both crying. And we're like, we're nodding our heads at each other. This is it. This is what we've hmm. been looking for. We, we kind of felt finally we're, we're at rest here because there's, there's all these, it happens in Catholicism too, but there's all these the liturgy, liturgy wars. wars going on in Anglicanism. There's this hmm. huge fight with the liturgy and they're tearing up their liturgy there. And you never know what you're going to get. Low church, high church, broad church, evangelical, Pentecostal, you don't know. Yeah. So when I entered the Latin Mass, it was entering otherworldliness. It was like, wow, I, I took a sigh of relief, literally. Yeah. Um, and I always describe it as just leaning on Jesus' breast, like yeah. St. John the Apostle does of the last supper. Hmm. And right, right there, that's what clicked. Yeah. That's awesome, guys. Hey, does that answer your question, Sean? And so, so, <laughs> and so funny story, right. I'm now the Master of Ceremonies, and the Master of Ceremonies formerly is now our deacons. Yeah. <laughs> ah, fantastic. No, that's fantastic, guys. No, that answers the question. Yeah. Well, praise God. I mean, welcome, you know, welcome back, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful story. I want to, I want to touch on something real quick that you, you both had mentioned a couple of times about like looking for this living abiding voice. Um, I'm thinking about people like, you know, like my brother-in-law, for example, who's a, um, you know, who's kind of like a Christian in a reform, in a reformed community right now. And so we have conversations about this type of thing all the time. 
And, you know, what would you say to somebody like like him in particular, or somebody who's like, you know, a Reformed Christian or just a Protestant in general, like who, who really hesitates about the need for a living voice at all? Like, we already have the living voice in Scripture. That is the living voice. That is, that's the only thing that I know of, we might say, that has this authority of being breathed out by God. Other things might have, like, it might be interesting that a church father is, like, closer to that time and can and understands that language but ultimately i don't have any guarantee that that what he says is you know is breathed out by god or is or is in any way similar um so what's the importance of like a living abiding tradition yeah well i mean you know if you look if you look at you know if you look at the scriptures um when you when protestants approach the bible reform approach the bible they say okay the apostles you, you you wouldn't say they didn't have the living abiding voice of course they did, right? I mean, they are the apostles. So you have to ask yourself, well, what happens to the living, abiding voice? What happens to the gift of forgiveness of sins when the apostles die? It, where does it go? Mm -hmm. And you can't just say, well, you know, it's in my reading of the scriptures. Uh, because, of course, the scriptures are a foundation for the faith, but even that foundation is built upon the pillars of tradition. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get the scriptures without tradition. Uh, and the yeah. tradition has built the scriptures and put them together. Um I mean, that's where I would start. Where where does it go after the apostles if they if they die? Yeah, whose authority do you listen to? I would say if you want to be snarky, <laughs> I, I would say back to it. Just kind of say, why aren't you baptizing on behalf of the dead? You know, because that that kind of puts it that kind of puts their back against the wall for, for a second. Hmm. Say, why don't you? Um, because it's clearly in scripture. So the minute that they have to answer a question like that, you have to say, well, who has the authority to tell us why we don't? Hmm. Um, and, and that's just one example. And the other right. thing is the living and the, and the abiding voice cannot be, cannot be put together by another authority, right? Because then it's not the living and abiding voice. Hmm. So, so when you say like, like, oh, the scriptures is the living and the abiding voice. Well, yeah, but at what point? So if you go to the first century, where's the New Testament? Because hmm. everybody has a different one. In some churches, the shepherd of Hermas is being read. In another church, the, the first letter of Clement is scripture. So how did we get to the point where we say, no, 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 it's these 27 books and those ones are not. And on what basis? Because if you say, oh, well, you know, it's because it's written by an apostle and it's yada, yada, yada. Well, Luke wasn't an, Luke wasn't an apostle. Um, so, so why not Clement, but Luke? You know, yeah, yeah. And, and why Hebrews? Why Hebrews when we don't know the author? Um, so it, it's, it's, it's all those kinds of questions. So who puts the living and abiding voice together then? Hmm. I think I would say is that living and abiding voice is not the Bible. Sorry to break it to you. The living and abiding word of God is Jesus yeah. in his person. God didn't send the Bible to redeem us. He sent a person. He sent Jesus as the word of God, the, the logos to Theo. He yeah. is the word of God. Um, the Bible is, is a word from God. But, but again, that, that Bible needs to be interpreted. And Jesus himself is the one who says, I will send the spirit and he will lead you into all truth. So, so again, is that, is that I'm, well, I'll send you the Bible and it'll lead you all truth. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, well, and, and, and Paul's letter to Timothy, right? The pillar of truth. He doesn't say that the pillar of truth is, are the scriptures. He yeah, says the pillar right. of truth is the church. The church. Hmm. And yeah. so it's well, self-refuting. Yeah. yeah. What, what church? <laughs> but, and there's one last thing I'll say. And this is, this is what the Reformed and, and Protestants in general, um, this is what the trap that it gets them in, is it gets them into a... Um, ecclesiological view of the church 
not a theological view of the church. So in other words, what they try to do then is they sort of have the word of God in front of them and the church, they kind of got to, they got to mold it and shape it and try to get it in line with what's there in scripture. Mm -hmm. Right. But the theological view of the church is that no, Jesus's promises are true and he promised to give the church the Holy spirit. So the church is, has to be alive and it has to have authority. Like when the church gets together unanimously and votes on something and, 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 and is there gathered in the spirit in council and she decides something just like the apostles did at the council of Jerusalem, that is a binding decision because God is going to protect the, whole, protect the church from teaching something that is false. That is a theological view of the church. And that's what I usually find when I'm debating with a Protestant is that we have two different views of what this church thing is. So we have to start there. What is the church in her very nature? So I would say, I don't know, that'd be a few different ways, I guess, to approach the question. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, just kind of like looking back then at your story and looking at, you know, look, in particular because you guys grew up in the Catholic Church, do you feel like if you, if you reflect back on your life, you know, was there anything that was lacking in your experience in Catholicism that if that had been there, you know, would have would have helped you to have a relationship with Jesus at that time where you would have never had to have, have had to have walked away for a time? Well, unfortunately, we didn't have great priests growing up. We didn't have a spiritual father uh, growing up. And that was a big that played a big role in this, I think. Even even in the parish we grew up in, I mean, we, loved, we loved it and everything. You know, our priest had some issues, um, you know, personal problems that he was dealing with, and and we just didn't have a good priest. Even at our, our school, we didn't, I mean, we nobody really liked that priest either. I mean, it was just really yeah, tough. We had like a verbally abusive. Yeah. Right? It was, <laughs> so again, there was, so for, for men, young men, good, strong spiritual father figures. Mm -hmm. um, you know, somebody that you can go to for direction. That wasn't that wasn't there, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, good catechesis, good spiritual fathers, hmm. and um, I would say fellowship among the believers. We, and what we always so we always say this that the there was a lot of torment being Protestant because you're always in this like who am I, what am I doing, you know, where am I going kind of thing. But the the, the most the best moments of Protestantism that we had we shared were the moments when we were with other Protestant friends around our Bible, having mm. coffee, talking about Jesus, reading yes. the scriptures. Now, mm. if we had grown up with Catholic friends or Catholic family members that were like that, things I think would have been very, very different. If we got around and we we're reading the Bible together, and we're talking about Jesus and, and, and not being afraid of saying the name Jesus, you know, like yeah. <laughs> even in public, you can say Jesus in public. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's a big thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, I remember go, when I went to Wheaton um, for our uh, master's program, stumbling upon, a, there was like a there was like a small like Catholic secret cohort at Wheaton, you know, that like they all stuck together oh, you're, and stuff. You're, but you're there right. was one, we were, one yeah. kid named Teddy. Mm -hmm. I'll give him a shout out, Teddy. Yeah. He was in our Latin class. Yeah. And I remember just being totally caught off guard by this guy because he was so on fire for God. And we had we had not met a Catholic like this. Up to that point I had never met a Catholic yeah. who was like on fire for God. Like hmm. I would I would I would like sneak a peek like at him during class and I would see his hand like like moving in his pocket. And I eventually saw that he had a rosary in there. So he was like sitting there praying during class. And I was like, well here I am. I'm doodling I'm doodling during class. <laughs> He's praying during class. I'm, yeah, this guy's praying and I'm not so no, I wonder how much of an effect that had on us because we both remember him. Yeah. And we're like 
how odd. I did not know that Cavaliers could act that way yeah. or be that hmm. way. And he wasn't weird. You know what I mean? He wasn't like yeah. one of those, you know what I mean? He wasn't like weird. He was also a cool guy like that you could yeah, hang yeah. out with, like go grab a beer or something, you know? Like, so he wasn't like, he, you know, he wasn't strange. He was just a mm-hmm. really, really good committed guy. You know, much like yourself here, Sean. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I mean, it's amazing. If we had met you. <laughs> if you had met me, I wish you had. Yeah, I wish you had. <laughs> Yeah, I you know it is a, it is amazing. Like obviously that makes sense. Like the the early church, like even the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter two, like right after Pentecost, and you know three thousand are added that day. Like this this community is a radical community devoted to Jesus Christ. It's like the community itself is a means of evangelization because people outside of the community look at the way people are living inside, and are attracted to it. And and I the, the communities that I saw that like you guys were, were Protestant communities actually in college who were like radically living a life of discipleship, wanted to give their whole life to Jesus, wanted to pray and read scripture every day. And I'd never really met Catholics who were like that, Just talked about Jesus openly, you know, and their relationship with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit, things like that, you know, and my mentor in college, you know, it's just like, was a, my main mentor who like taught me how to read scripture and pray was a Protestant guy. And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's, it was so grateful to, to at some point meet Catholics who, you know, who lived out of their, you know, in a relationship with Jesus and were led by the Holy Spirit and like, oh, okay, I guess you can do this in the Catholic Church as well. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, but I think if we're, if we're being honest, though, I think we would still have to say that the general ethos in modern, mm-hmm. uh, especially Western Catholicism, is that lukewarmness yeah. um, where, you, you know, you're, it really is still few and far between that you're finding people who are on fire, like for, for yeah. God. And so even for me coming back to the Catholic Church, on a personal note, it has been um, potentially tempting to fall back into lukewarmness. Um, so that's been the struggle spiritually where it's like, okay, I, you know, I need to get back up on the horse, like keep doing the daily office. Like I would, you know, like I would when I was in England, <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's uh, that, that, that is a struggle. I think for a lot of Catholics, it's, it's like bad company corrupts good morals in a way. And in a way, like we've allowed this to fester in our parishes. And I think we need to be much more intentional communities, smaller communities too. I think it's a good thing that, in, in a way, it's a good thing that for silver lining, yeah. yeah, the silver lining that the church is bleeding a lot of membership mm-hmm. is that we are getting smaller, tighter, more devoted, and realizing that something is actually at stake here. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So, I mean, that being said, for people listening, watching, like, and they're interested in learning more about Catholicism, maybe in particular, they're curious about these claims of the Catholic Church being, you know, the church established by Jesus himself. And like, but they look around them, you know, and they might have had encounters with a lot of Catholics who just seem like very lukewarm, like they're Catholic by name only. They've never seen, you know, at least they've never had a relationship with a Catholic who seems to have like a living relationship with Jesus in the way that they've maybe experienced in their in their Protestant communities, for example, or even guys like you who who maybe used to be Catholic and have, you know have kind of walked away. Um, somebody in, in one of those kind of places who's curious though about what we're talking about, they're curious and looking more into Catholicism. Um, where would you recommend someone like that start, or where should someone like that look? I mean, Saint Paul, yeah. <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul's letters for the first time, I, you're just taken aback by how, oh wait, the Bible includes like literal letters from an apostle? Like, wow, you know, you hear like a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, who's St. Paul and who's the Corinthians? Right, yeah. Uh, no, right. no, literally. It, it, it was, yeah, it was, um, it was falling in love with St. Paul and through Paul falling in love with Christ. Yeah. Because he saw his zeal for this gospel. 
And then to have his very letters in front of you, I'm still astounded by that, that we, that we have these first century, first century documents to read. Mm. Yeah, especially when you go back and you're trying to read the fathers and you're trying to see like, oh man, I wish we had that writing from Hippolytus, you know? And it's like, dude, we have the apostles' writings. Mm-hmm. That's their mm-hmm. own memoirs. I mean, it's like, that is, in, that is incredible. Um, that's an incredible gift. And to have it sitting on our shelves collecting dust is just such a tragedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, so I, really, it is. I, I would agree 100%. It's reading the Gospel of John and reading St. Paul's letters. The Gospel of John is, is if you're watching our, our channel right now, we're doing, we just finished, a lot of time on John, yeah. we just finished up our series on, on St. John. That is the most intimate gospel, the most intimate experience of Jesus Christ, and quite potentially, quite potentially, um, the most... Uh, I guess you say first-hand account <laughs> of it because the synoptics in a way are sort of relaying stories from apostles or from presbyters who knew the mm. apostles. But John's gospel is written from the heart, um, from the heart of experience. Mm. So to encounter Jesus in that way actually was very, very impactful for me. And, and, it's, and I think a lot of times Catholics are scared to hear that. Like, oh, I have to go read the scriptures. I don't know what it means. Like, I didn't know what it meant either when I was 18 years old. <laughs> yeah. You just got to dive in. Um, realizing that it is an apostle and you just start to read it for yourself and take it in. Because, look, we sat through sermons, we sat through readings on Sundays and mm-hmm. for many, many years didn't get anything out of it because you just go to church and you just kind of listen, okay, St. Paul is that, I don't know, he's kind of apostle, who is he? I don't know. But then to just really wrestle with him firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, ma- the mass will open up for you. Yeah. That's the other thing. If you know the Bible, you start with Paul and kind of, you know, work your way around and, and, and bump around a little bit and find a good spiritual teacher, of course. Like find a good priest, you know, that you trust mm-hmm. who can kind of help you through the scriptures when you have questions. Um, don't ask the wrong people <laughs> for when you have questions. Um, but I, I would say like even the architecture starts to talk to you for the first time. If, you know, if you're going to like maybe, a, you know, like a beautiful Catholic church, like the architecture starts to scream out to you uh, for the first time because you look and you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's St. Matthew. I get it now. That's yeah. like, I read his gospel. Like, uh, mm-hmm. that's, you know, oh, that's the moment when Jesus tells the parable of whatever, you know, and you're starting to put, even the building is starting to speak to you for the first time. Whereas before you're just sitting there and you're looking up and you're like, man, that's a lot of nice ancient, ancient stuff. You know, it's really pretty, <laughs> but you don't know what, what the content is. And, uh, and, and really then the Eucharist itself becomes that much more powerful, especially like John six and, mm-hmm. and St. Paul, like, you know, in first Corinthians, you just, uh, yeah, you, you the, the church starts to speak to you uh, for the first time. And then I, I would say, so the scriptures, but I would also say, um, if you're looking at particular fathers, yeah. hmm. I mean, deep in our hearts, I know for sure what made it give us that aha moment, like, uh-oh, we're in trouble here as, as evangelicals. Read somebody like St. Cyprian of Carthage, St. Cyprian's treatise on the unity of the church. And what you're seeing in, in church fathers like St. Cyprian is um, what... Scholars call it translocal consciousness. The church mm. understood that it was part of something larger than itself. Yeah. And it knew that it was unified. And it knew that, oh, this, this, this bishop in Carthage can very well write to Rome. And they know the doctrines. They're, in his letters, he's assuming things that mm. they must share the same faith, right? And they don't have TV, guys. They, they don't have, have cell phones. They don't they have social, social media. media. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they're writing across the Mediterranean. Somehow they're all understanding each other. Mm. Um, that is very powerful in the pages of those church fathers like St. Cyprian, like, like St. Ignatius. Mm-hmm. Um, just that, that sense of connectedness. I mean, you know, when we were in the Bible church, we were always kind of struck by how isolated we were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in your Bible church and it's, and it's you. And we would always say even, hey, why don't we go like contact the other church down the road? Or why don't we like, like, do, something do something in the neighborhood? Together. Or, do something together. Um, there's just isolation there. But 
Hmm. That's not how the church fathers saw the church at all. Right. They had an ecclesiology, um, and they knew they were part of something larger than themselves. Yeah. So if you're Catholic, pick up your pick up your Bible. Don't be afraid. You know, be not afraid. Go, go read your Bible. <laughs> if you're a Protestant, go read Saint Cyprian's on the unity of the Catholic Church. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff, guys. One thing I would add, everybody, of course, read scriptures is a priority. But if you if you want some fantastic insights into the scriptures, check out the Catholic Brothers. Uh, their YouTube <laughs> channel. Seriously, these guys are smart guys. They're doing unbelievable work. I mean, I'm, I've learned a ton from watching your videos. I think they offer some really like fresh and unique insights um, that you don't get anywhere else. So maybe guys, just as we close here, I got a couple minutes. If you want to let people know a little bit more about the work you're doing and, and where they can find your, you know, your videos and podcasts. Yeah, great. So right now we're working on a series called the first 500 years of the church. And literally, we're going century by century. So we just wrapped up the first century. Um, we'll be starting the second uh, in the coming weeks. And after we cover each century, we kind of do a summary, right? What did we just go through? What, what was there? And then kind of looking forward to the next century. What are we going to see? What kind of developments are there going to be? You know, where can we find the papacy? Where, you know, those types of things, we're answering those questions. And really, from, from a different perspective, I think a lot of times than people are used to hearing, uh, yeah. different from the mainstream. Because yep. what we like to say is like, you know, we we're in academia, we did the academia thing, right? But you have all these scholars kind of talking up in the clouds. And what we're trying to do is take make it accessible, make the, take yeah. that information and make it as accessible as possible to benefit the dialogue and to, to benefit and to benefit the debate mm -hmm. because Protestants and Catholics are still debating today, right? So yeah. how do we read the fathers in a way that will help even that debate between, um, between Christians? Yeah, yeah. So you can find us on YouTube. If you literally just go to YouTube, search the Catholic Brothers. Um, we're on wherever you get your podcasts to um, Apple Podcasts. Um, so yeah, it's just the Catholic Brothers podcast. Um, and like you said, I mean, we're we're really just trying to make uh, patristics accessible, but not just for its own sake. Um, like even when we start now in the second century, we're going to be starting like the first heresies. Okay, and you're going to see that that. There ain't no new heresies. Uh, they're they're always just uh, they're old, always just changing old, old heresies repackaged. Yeah. Um, so at the end of each of the heresy episodes, you're gonna see we're gonna say, okay, where is this heresy today? So it, it's kind of knowing the past so that we can better judge the present. Um, and I think it help it will help a lot of Catholics understand why we even have things like the creed and why it's like a cherished treasure and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. And then in addition to the 500 year series, we do, you know, one offs of, of different things we've done. We're doing movie reviews uh, from a Catholic perspective. Mm -hmm. um, we're also doing cues from the pews, which is just taking questions from folks and we'll just That's answer good. random Catholic questions like <laughs> for, uh, for people. Yeah. That idea came up from family, actually family wanted us, mm -hmm. they had, you know, just normal everyday questions for us. And we said, oh, yeah, just submit questions. Then we'll have viewers submit questions and just go at it. So a couple different things. But our focus since we studied the church, early church, that's kind of the focus of the channel. Yeah. Well, thanks again so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been great to talk to you a little bit more. Great yeah. to talk to you, Thank Sean. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, have a great day and God bless.